our favorite automotive gurus on an industry facing big challenges. For the automotive industry and for car buyers, the pandemic has been a roller coaster ride, and it's not over. The latest challenge facing the industry is a global microchip shortage, exacerbating the already challenging supply chain issues. So what to do if you're in the market for a new car? That depends on several things, including whether you want to see some of the new models about to roll off the assembly line. Experts predict that consumers will see 240 new car models in the next four years, many of them electric. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Main Calling, we will check in with our favorite automotive experts. We'll discuss the latest news in the industry, and we will get answers to your car buying and maintenance questions. Main Calling is next, but first, this news. Welcome to Main Calling, I'm Jennifer Rooks. There has been a lot of news from the automotive world since we last heard from our favorite car gurus, Jamie Page Deaton of US News and John Paul from AAA. Tesla unveiled its latest flagship car. Ford announced an all electric pickup. There's been a shortage of computer chips and it's disrupting supplies and the used car and rental car markets are seeing skyrocketing prices. Joining me for this hour, Jamie Page Deaton, executive editor of the U.S. News Best Cars team, and John Paul, senior manager of traffic safety and public affairs with AAA Northeast. As always, we invite your questions and comments about anything automotive, whether it's buying a car, renting a car, fixing your car, um, trying to figure out how long your car is going to last. You can send an email to talk at mainpublic.org, tweet at maincalling. Post a comment on Facebook or Instagram or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. For those of you who haven't heard this program before, I'd like to start by asking both John and Jamie what they've been driving because as members of the automotive press, they get to drive everything new. So uh, Jamie, what have you had? Uh, what have you had the keys to? I was going to say had the keys to. Sometimes that doesn't involve keys anymore for the past few weeks. Oh, so I've had a lot of fun with minivans recently. Um, not exactly. Did the you just say thing. I've had a lot of fun with minivans? <laughs> had a lot of fun with minivans. Um, so you know, if you're a minivan buyer, um, man, this is just a great time to be buying a minivan. So I tested out the uh, Kia Carnival, which is their new minivan. Um, I'm kind of bummed that the Carnival isn't a trim on the Kia Rio, but what can you do? Um, it was a very, very luxurious minivan, had some really high-tech features. And honestly, too, it was a minivan that I think would really appeal to teenagers um, because it, again, had all these tech features, great screen and infotainment system in the back. And the second row seats you know, reclined like you were on a private jet um, that had a footrest that came out from the bottom of the seat, the seat reclined back. It was just kind of the ultimate nap mobile, I think. And uh, got a couple of teenagers who live in my neighborhood and they were like all over it, um, which I think is great. You know, if you're hauling, um, you know, anybody who's big enough to be out of a booster seat, you know, to like long haul, you know, soccer tournaments or something like that. Um, they thought that was great. I also tested out uh, the Toyota Sienna hybrid the Sienna has always been a great minivan and now there's a hybrid version of it. Um, and, you know, the Sienna in general, as far as minivans go, um, is, is generally a little bit underpowered. It's a big, heavy vehicle and not the fastest vehicle. But uh, the Sienna Hybrid, I mean, it actually had plenty of power for getting on the highway, drove, you know, very comfortably. Um, and you're able, I was able to get 36 MPG um, in, in both city and highway driving, which actually was really, really nice um, to not have to spend a whole lot of money on gas and to be able to haul, you know, seven or eight people around. Um, so yeah, the minivans are fun, but then I kind of went to the other end of the spectrum um, and had a really good time with um, the uh, Acura TLX S, uh, which is just a real full-on sports sedan. Um, kids didn't like it as much because they went from a really luxurious backseat to kind of a smaller sports sedan backseat. Um, and also I was tossing it into corners perhaps a bit too much, <laughs> but um, it, was, it was a lot of fun if you're looking for just a buttoned up, comfortable enough to commute in sedan, but you can really tear up the back roads when you're not commuting. The TLX S is a great option. 
All right, John. Jamie's been having fun with minivans. Uh, what have you been having fun with, or or not fun? What are you disappointed by? Well, I, I haven't been disappointed. It's pretty hard to be disappointed about any new car today. I mean, they're all they're all so good. But uh, recently, I was driving the Honda Ridgeline. Now, the Honda Ridgeline is Honda's pickup truck, so it is just it. It's just a great vehicle. It's comfortable to drive. It handles like a Honda Pilot or a similar size SUV. It works out really well. And I guess my biggest complaint about it with, with it is it's a little bit expensive. Um, even the one that I drove that had cloth seats was $40,000 or so. Uh, but I love the cargo bed. I love the storage in the cargo bed, this lockable um, storage compartment that's essentially waterproof, uh, or you could use it for a giant cooler if you wanted to, because there was a drain hole in the bottom of it. Uh, but I really, it, it was just a really functional vehicle. And it's one that um, the only thing I could really find is two little tiny things to find fault with. No channel tuning knob on the radio, which drove me crazy because I want to reach over and, you know, turn the turn the knob and change the channels. And it doesn't use a conventional shifter. It uses a push button shifter, which interestingly is the same shifter they use in the Acura NSX, which I thought was a little bit weird. Um, but I, I just, I guess because of habit i always sort of reach for a shifter of some sort and the idea of having to push buttons just takes a little bit of getting used to but uh for somebody looking for a mid-sized truck and they have a little bit of a hefty budget i i think it's a great choice you're not going to tow a 40-foot travel trailer with it but you're certainly going to be able to tow a small boat or pop-up camping trailer things like that just a nice just a nice vehicle to drive and decent miles per gallon too and the other one I drove and I just, every time I get in one, I feel like I just either signed a contract with some sports league or, or record company or something. The Cadillac Escalade, um, the long wheelbase version. So the thing's enormous. It's a Chevy Suburban, essentially. Um, it is just, it is comfortable. You can put six people in it and they're all comfortable in it. They all, seating's great for everybody. And it is just... Um, too big for me um it's but is but if somebody's looking for it and it's, and it's interesting i just answered a reader question uh somebody who's uh, retired from owning their own business they want to take their grandkids around and they want to travel the country and they ask what kind of vehicle to do it in because they want to bring i don't know four or five people with them escalate esv is a good good choice for that and for the size of a vehicle pretty decent fuel economy and big gas tank in it's a decent long range so um and surprising the amount of power that, that came out of that engine as well so good choice for people looking for that kind of vehicle i want to talk a little broad more broadly for a few minutes about the automotive industry um jamie it's not necessarily, um, let's say you're in the, let's say you're listening to Jamie Page Deaton and John Paul right now, and you're thinking you might like to buy one of these vehicles they're talking about. It's not as simple as that right now, correct? If you go to your local automotive dealership, it is not going to look the same as it usually does. Uh, we know that at the beginning of the pandemic, um, everything stopped. And then we know that there were supply chain issues because of the pandemic, but now we've got this issue with the chips. Explain to me, to all of us, how deeply that goes, how much it's impacting the industry, how long it will be affecting the industry. Yeah, so this is uh, a little bit of pandemic hangover going on, but there is a major semiconductor shortage and it's worldwide and it not only impacts the automotive industry, but everything that uses these chips. So if you are trying to say buy a new oven, one of my neighbors was trying to buy a new oven and has to wait 17 weeks to get their new oven because the chip's not available. Um, GM and Ford are building vehicles and then leaving the chips out. And then once the, and so the vehicles are parked um, just at parking lots, you know, throughout the Midwest. And then once they get the chips in, they're gonna add them to it. GM also changed um, on some of their vehicles, um, they, 
you know, say they uh, took 50 bucks off the price um, and took away the start stop function um, that some of their vehicles have because they didn't have the computer chips to support that functionality. And so what this is doing is if you don't have the chips, you can't build the cars. If you can't build the cars, that puts a constraint on supply. Demand, on the other hand, has rebounded from the pandemic. So what this is doing is it's really pushing prices up. Actually, um, Cox Automotive um, released a study today that they found in May a 5.4% year-over-year increase in the average new vehicle transaction price. And so the average transaction price of a new vehicle right now is $41,263. And, Ooh. you know, I feel like I've, we've, you know, John and I have been coming and, you know, talking to y'all in Maine about new cars for a long, long time. And I remember being shocked and talking about how high that was when it was $35,000 for a new vehicle price. And now we're talking, you know, $41,000. Um, and so if you're going to shop for a new car right now, um, you, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One is don't be picky. You are not going to be able to get probably the exact car you want, um, you know, with the exact features and maybe you want a red interior because they just aren't, um, they aren't building quite as much as they were. And those cars that are coming out, they're getting snapped up really quickly as well. You should also expect that you're probably going to pay a little bit more than you otherwise would. Now, some of, um, you know, some brands are offsetting some of the price increases with good financing deals, but you have to have really good credit to take advantage of those. Um, so just bear in mind that it's going to be, if you need a new car, it's going to be an ordeal, but not nearly as bad an ordeal as if you're looking for a used car, because what the sh shortage in the new car sector has done is it's pushed buyers over to the used car sector. Um, and there you're encountering, encountering a lot more competition and used car prices are also incredibly high. So I'll give you an example. We, um, recently sold our 2016 Toyota 4Runner, which we paid new, we paid $36,000 for it. Um, and then we sold it for $32,000. Wow. So in five years, we lost $4,000 worth of value. Now the 4Runner is a good vehicle for retaining value, but then we just saw it for sale for $36,000. So a five-year-old car costing more than it was new. And this had, you know, it had about 50,000 miles on it. Um, and so just know that you know, you really have got to search around and weirdly, and this is, I don't have a lot of data. This is just my own anecdotal evidence here. Weirdly, you can get some really good deals on luxury cars because they don't have, um, you know, they aren't expecting to sell quite as many models as your mainstream cars are. So particularly around used luxury cars, if you're looking at say a, um, you know, a, a Honda Accord and you're looking for something yeah, that's fairly upmarket, go and look over at Acura, go and look over at Audi because they might have, you know, for the same price, they might have, you know, an A3, an A4 um, for the, the price of the Accord that you're looking at, both for new and used. So just really widen your scope, but just be prepared that this is going to be, this is a tough market for buyers. All right. And, and John, it's also a tough market if you want to get your car fixed. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and Jamie is absolutely right about the, the new and used cars. I mean, used car prices are, are crazy. I read the other day that used car prices are up like 30%. So, uh, and, and people are deciding because of that to hold on to their cars a little bit longer. Um, the average car today is, I think, on the road is over 12 years old. It's older than it's ever been. But getting your car fixed is a problem because at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of shops slowed right down, laid people off, whatever the case is. And then people maybe decided some of those automotive technicians, mechanics decided not to go back into that business and do something else. Or folks are a little bit older said, you know what? I put away a little bit of money. Maybe it's time to retire. Well, I still feel good and I still feel healthy. So every repair shop that I go into is looking for people. And uh, one repair shop I went into, we said, I'm looking for trainees. I'll even buy their tools if they'll commit to me that they'll stay for three years. And that's a pretty big investment for an independent shop to say, I'll buy somebody $10,000 worth of tools if they'll stay with me. Um, so we're seeing it all across the board, repair shops. Uh, it could be uh, any kind of service people that, that work on cars and it can even be tow truck drivers and, and light service drivers. So we're seeing it right across the board. So it's a great time. If you're thinking about that type of work, a uh, good time to go out and look and see what's available. And a lot of uh, garages and dealerships are offering sign-on bonuses now, and just to make it a little bit more attractive and, uh, 
automotive technicians, mechanics are a hot commodity right now. So you're, if you're one, this would be a good time to go apply for a job. Speaking of shortages, Jamie, it is tourism season. Lots of people coming to Maine and lots of people coming to Maine and realizing that it's not so simple to rent a car. Yeah, this is the same. I mean, it's just this. I find this just really fascinating because I love unintended consequences. Um, But what you have is the um, pandemic hits. People stop traveling. Rental car agencies have a lot of money invested in their fleets. They suddenly don't have any reservations. So what they do, they dump their fleets. They sold them all. Um, And in one case, had a very suspicious fire at an airport in Missouri. Uh, But what happens now is now there's more demand for travel. It's huge. And people want to rent cars. And now the rental car agencies, they don't have the cars. So they think, oh, we'll just go buy some new cars. But there's a chip shortage. So there are no new cars to buy. So we have cases where um, I know in Hawaii, people are renting U-Hauls because the rental cars are so expensive. But yeah, I mean, everywhere there is a shortage of cars, new cars, used cars, rental cars. Um, And the other thing to remember too, now if you're in market for a new car, you're competing not only against, you know, the buyer down the street, but you're competing against Hearst who might be going, you know, directly to Ford and say, I will buy the next, you know, three days worth of production on this particular model. Um, And we've even seen where used or where rental car companies are actually buying used cars now. So if you're looking at maybe a one to two year old used car, you're also competing against, you know, Avis um, for buying that model. So just know that if you don't have to buy a car right now, maybe sit it out. And a lot of the analysis that I'm seeing though is the chip shortage is going to continue into the um, first quarter of 2022. um, And that's when things might start to shake out. But then there's going to be kind of, um, you know, I think about it like a cartoon, you know, where they hold the hose, where there's a kink in the hose and it builds up. All of that water that's built up behind has to make it through as well in terms of, you know, cars that need those chips and things. So you can expect the car market to be, you know, funky for at least another year. Um, And so if you can sit it out for a year, Um, And I know it's hard to repair the car, you know, as John was talking about, but if you can make those repairs and keep the car going for a little bit longer, um, you know, it's going to be better for you. You'll have a better experience unless you have a car now to sell and you don't need to replace it. If you have a car to sell that you do not need to replace, go sell it. You'll never get more money for it than I think you will now. All right. I'm going to try to squeeze in one question before our break. Michael in Portland, go ahead. You're on main calling. Hey, yes. How's it going? I, um, I actually have an older Volvo that um, you'll probably see me driving around uh, Portland and South Portland. It has even tied sticker on the back, my, my massage business. Um, but I was just curious, you know, is it time to basically um, buy a new car or put money into my car? Um, I just stopped at a shop and they said it would be around uh, $700 to $1,000 in repairs. Um, with that in mind, it's starting to rust, um, and you know, all the panels are starting to rust and whatnot. So I'm just kind of curious what you think. Um, sure. Is it time to... And Michael, what Go year ahead. is it and how many miles uh, on a, it? It's a 2005 with, uh, 2000, uh, 210,000 miles. Okay. And the rust, would it pass an inspection? Um, it, it's already passed an inspection. I have another seven months or so on it. Okay. John, I'm going to toss this one to you. And, and Michael, a Volvo 700 to $1,000 <laughs> is not even an expensive repair on a Volvo, is it, John? Well, the way Jennifer's answering these questions, I don't, I don't feel needed anymore. She, she's asked all the right questions so far. No, well, I spent a lot of time with you, too. <laughs> um, you know, certainly the mileage you're getting up there, and it's going to get a little bit questionable. But let's face it, what are you going to do for $1,000? You're not going to go out and you're not going to buy another car. And even as much as there's a used car shortage right now, a uh, 2005 Volvo, just isn't really going to be worth that much. So um, I would I would suggest at this point uh, do the repairs. And the one thing you do want to make sure is get get the car up on a lift and make sure it's structurally sound. You know, some visual rust can easily be patched up even temporarily, but you want to make sure it's structurally sound just in case you do get into some sort of a crash to make sure that the car is safe. Um, but if, as long as the repairs are not um, overly complicated and it doesn't sound like for 700 to a thousand dollars it's going to be uh, i would just i would continue to repair it and drive it and maybe wait until like jamie said you know the second part of next year when car prices get a little bit better and you know the whole 
uh, rental car fleet thing. That's where a lot of the used cars came from. And with their, you know, like Jamie said, they dumped their fleet. Now there's nothing out there in the market, which again, makes used cars at a premium, but I don't think your 2005 Volvo is one of those. All right. Well, Michael, thanks so much for kicking off the questions here. We're going to get to more questions from our audience when we come back. This is Maine Calling. Listener support brings us Maine Calling with help from Theater at Monmouth, presenting the 2021 Revolutionary Redux season. Information and tickets at theateratmonmouth.org. And Memic, a workers' compensation insurer, now searching for a director of financial reporting, CPA required. More at Memek.com. Americans spent $8.5 billion more on gardening last year than we did in 2019. I went from maybe doing an acceptable 30, 40 orders per month to June of 2020, where I did 1,200 orders. I'm Kai Rizdal, the houseplant boom. Next time on Marketplace. Listen in for Marketplace. That's this evening at 6.30, right here on Maine Public Radio. In the last year, we've all been through a world of change, but we've done it together. Despite distance and challenges, Maine public donors stepped up so this essential resource could be here for us all, fueling vital public health information through Maine CDC briefings, powering remote educational resources like the learning space for Maine kids, and connecting us all to each other when we needed it most. After a challenging year, we are eagerly looking forward to tomorrow. Your donation at mainepublic.org today will power the trusted news and opportunities of tomorrow. Thank you. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on the program, Jamie and John are on the line to answer your questions about car care, electric vehicles, and more. Jamie Page Deaton, executive editor of the U.S. News Best Cars team, and John Paul, senior manager of traffic safety and public affairs with AAA Northeast. Share your comments or questions via email, talk at mainepublic.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call, 1-800-399-3566. Again, 1-800-399-3566. In preparation for this program, to bone up to be able to talk with both of you, I was reading the, um, and I'm very proud of myself here, the Foley Weekly Automotive Report, in which I learned that uh, B of A is is predicting 240 new car models in the next four years, which is kind of mind blowing. But Jamie, several of these, uh, I should say vehicle models are trucks and some of them electric trucks. What's going on there? And, and how, do you, um, how do you characterize the, the new generation of pickup trucks coming out? Yeah, I mean, this is, um, I think, a smart move by automakers. I think there is a little bit, um, you know, kind of just idea that if you're buying an electric car, it's going to feel like a golf cart. It's got to be small. It's got to feel chintzy. And it's just going to take you from point A to point B. And it's not a lifestyle vehicle. It's something you do because it's right. It's kind of the automotive equivalent of eating your broccoli. Um, But, you know, automakers, they spend a lot of money developing those models and they don't make a lot of money on them. But what models they do make a lot of money on? Trucks. And so, you know, gas-powered trucks, um, the majority of them that are sold to non-fleet buyers now, um, they retail for well over $60,000. These are luxury vehicles. Um, And that luxury market is where you do see a lot of early adopters of EVs. And so, you know, with Ford, you have the Ford F-150 Lightning, which is their new EV. And it's really just, um, you know, on paper, it's just a great looking truck in terms of its range, in terms of its power. Um, I think Ford got, you know, a great, you know, a PR coup by getting, uh, you know, letting the president drive it and him referring to it as a fast truck. Um, But what's great about it is it it allows the automakers or it's great for the automakers. It allows them to develop the technology and sell it in a vehicle that people are willing to pay a premium for. Um, So that allows them then to recoup the development costs a lot faster. And then that technology can trickle down into um, other area, you know, into, into other vehicles that are a little bit less expensive. So you're seeing this explosion of trucks simply because it makes a lot of financial sense for the automotive companies. Um, and with, you know, the F-150 Lightning, it looks like 
a really smart vehicle. Um, you can use it if the power goes out, you can use it to power you know, parts of your house. Um, it's got a decent electric range. It's got good towing. Um, like I mentioned, because it's electric, it's really, really quick. Um, and it's got a, you know, the, the configuration is a standard crew cab. So the inside's very comfortable. And, you know, speaking as a former, you know, truck owner in New Hampshire, um, the fact that it has a frunk you know, a front trunk where the engine would be is huge. Cause I can remember, you know, on a snowy day going to the grocery store and we didn't have a tonneau cover or any kind of bed cover. Um, so we'd be driving home with, you know, toilet paper stacked on top of the baby in the back seat. Um, the ability to have, you know, good closed lockable storage on a truck, you know, that's huge. Um, but you also see, you know, similar trucks coming out from, you know, Rivian, which is a new, um, a new electric car company. Um, and it's really just about like, they want to make EVs more of a lifestyle vehicle that appeal to people who are kind of weekend warriors who are outdoorsy and active. Um, while at the same time, you know, these trucks also make a lot of sense for fleet buyers as well. If you think about it, um, you know, if you are, are a small business owner, a fleet of F-150 Lightnings actually makes a lot of sense because Ford offers a great deal of, um, you know, kind of job site features that'll track your tools and things like that. Um, and then you think about it, you can fuel your entire electric fleet by just having them plug in when the trucks, you know, come back to the office for the night. Now these aren't out yet, right? These are not out yet. No. And there's also the Maverick, which is so the, the Ford a little bit Maver smaller, way more, way smaller. So you have within the Ford range you have the F-150. I'm just going to talk about like, I'm not going for the heavy duty trucks, but for, for the trucks that most people will buy, you know, the light duty trucks, you have um, the F-150, and then you have the Ford Ranger, which is their mid-sized truck. And then you have um, the Maverick, which is their new small truck that's coming out this fall. The Maverick is actually a hybrid. It's based on a car platform. And this is something that would, I think, really appeal to, um, again, kind of, you know, it's a lifestyle vehicle for people who want to get outdoors, who are maybe DIYers and makers, but they live in the city. So what's cool about this is, you know, it's, it's expected to get, you know, over 40 MPG because it's a hybrid. Um, it's got a nice, low bed. So somebody who's vertically challenged like me, one of the things that I don't like about full-size trucks is um, it's a little undignified for me to get anything in the bed, you know, as I crawl around the bed at Home Depot. But um, this is a lower bed. The other thing that's cool about this is um, Ford is releasing 3D printer plans um, and DIY plans so that you can go and build your own bike rack for the bed out of, you know, two by fours based on their plans, or you can 3D print your own cup holders or, you know, GoPro holders. So you can record your adventures while you're out with the Maverick. Um, so this is another one too, where I just think it's, you know, if you're looking for a truck and you want to, you know, commute in it, but you also want to maybe take your dirt bikes out or your kayaks out. Maybe it's not going to tow much, you know, maybe a jet ski, uh, but nothing a lot bigger than that. Um, it's a good option um, for that. And we're seeing like a lot, uh, a lot more, you know, smaller trucks coming in as well. I mean, Hyundai just released one um, coming in too. Yeah. So, um, and the Maverick is, is only starting at $20,000 but also not four-wheel drive. So you said really for somebody who's urban and maybe wants to have some adventures. John, before we go back to the calls, I want to ask you about a related topic, but uh, equally interesting, which is things like um, boats and campers. Those are also facing some of the same challenges we're seeing in other um, um, in cars and yeah. trucks. Yeah, absolutely. I was... Um... I was talking with somebody from a boat manufacturer and they were affected by their, their assembly folks were affected by COVID. Like a lot of businesses were, uh, they expected 2020 to just to be a completely off year. They didn't expect to sell anything. No one thought that everybody still wanted to travel, but they do it by say, a, a camper for instance, or they wanted to, um, they wanted to socially distance. So they thought they would do it in a boat out on the water. So they wouldn't be near other people and popular boats, like smaller boats, like, uh, the smaller Boston whaler, the 15 or 16 foot Boston whaler totally sold out. You can't buy one. Um, I was listening to a conference call with the folks from Airstream, the silver bullet style trailers. Uh, they had their best year ever last year. Uh, they had never sold so many, uh, uh, and they configured them, some of them, they were configured as mobile offices. So people that said, hey, look, I, I can work, I can work from anywhere. Why don't I work from a comfortable trailer at the same time? So yeah, it's, um, it, again, it's kind of one of those uh, 
Jamie said, unintended, unintended consequences of the pandemic actually turned some things around, uh, which may have not happened because of it. So it is kind of interesting. So many examples of the way society is changing um, and uh, how the pandemic accelerated that change. We're going to turn to Fred calling from Brunswick. Hi, Fred. Go ahead. Hi. I have a question about breaking sensors in cars. I think it's marvelous that modern technology can stop a car if somebody suddenly steps in front of you. But I have a friend uh, who had a Volkswagen Atlas that sensor braked at 70 miles an hour on a super on a highway i have a passat i haven't had that experience but my sensors go off all the time uh, if i get even within 10 feet of a car at a stoplight i just wondered uh, i heard toyota had some problems even fatalities i think with sensors uh, what's the technology and in the case of that atlas apparently was due to some coffee uh, spilling into the coffee container in the driver's uh, console, but that seems to me a pretty serious uh, problem. Yeah, Fred, thanks for your call. And John, I'll turn to you. Um, problems with braking sensors. And, and, and also, I want to clarify, is a braking sensor um, what some of the newer cars have that will automatically stop the car if, uh, say, there's a pileup right in front of you or somebody walks in front of the car? Yeah. There's a couple different ones. One is a brake warning, which just lets you know the traffic stopping. The other one's automatic emergency braking, which we're going to see standard in all new cars in the next couple of years. Um, the systems have varying success rates as far as how well they work, too. Uh, we did a bunch of testing at AAA and found uh, we were using both a remote-controlled person and a remote-controlled car. So we would we were out on a private racetrack out in California, and we got several different vehicles, and we stopped the remote control car really quickly, and we got really good at putting it back together again because the systems aren't always perfect, but they will help you in a lot of cases. Because they're electronic sensors, they use combinations of cameras and radar. Uh, systems can go bad. I um, answered a question for someone with a Subaru and Subaru has the eyesight system. It, it's a, it's a great system. Uh, they had a lot of false warnings with it and the dealer looked at it, looked at it and looked at it. And I made the suggestion of just very carefully looking at the camera system, the two cameras that are um, above the rear view mirror. And there was a spider living inside of it. And it was every once in a while, the spider or spider web would go in front of the camera and it would set it off. Now it wouldn't jam on the brakes automatically, but it would give a warning that there was something in the way. So the systems aren't perfect and they do need to be recalibrated in the event of a crash. Um, the idea that a sensor was damaged because someone spilled coffee inside the car, um, I mean, certainly is possible, but I would think they would build systems like that, just like the airbag controllers and so forth, a little bit more robust to handle things like coffee spills and soda spills and so forth. A question here from Cindy. Jamie mentioned that if you have a car to sell and you don't need to replace it, then go sell it now. Do you recommend selling it to one of those places like Carvana or CarMax or doing it privately? Would there be much of a difference in how much you could sell it for? So, um, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I actually really like um, Carvana and Zoom. Um, our two, or I'm sorry, Vroom, it's because we're on Zoom I, so much these days, I get them confused. But Carvana and Vroom um, are two services that where you basically upload all your documents online, they make you an offer and they come to your house, you sign the paperwork and they drive your car away. CarMax is a little bit different in that um, you can upload your documents ahead of time, but you do have to physically take the car to CarMax, they look it over. Um, you know, the car that I mentioned that I sold, I went and I got quotes from all three, Carvana, Zoom, or Vroom, um, and CarMax, and ended up going with CarMax because they offered the most money and it wasn't far for me to do it. Um, and all it took was, you know, basically an hour and a half of sitting around a CarMax while the paperwork was completed. Um, you know, private sellers, if you want to sell it privately, it's going to be a little bit more work because you're going to have to do the paperwork. You're going to have to deal with potentially the DMV, you know, to, to register the sale and things like that. Um, and at least where I am in Virginia, the DMV is having a lot of backlogs. Um, you can only go, it's appointment only, and appointments um, are generally available, you know, about a month or two out 
I wasn't willing to wait that long. So it really just comes down to your level of comfort. It is totally free to just go to, you know, go to vroom.com, go to carvana.com, go to carmax.com, enter your information, see where you get the best offer um, and kind of go from there. You can also, I'm seeing a lot of dealers, um, offer that, you know, they'll, they'll buy your car, even if um, you don't buy theirs. So if you've got the time and you want to take it to some of those dealers in your area, that's an option too. Um, I know that uh, kbb.com has also started an instant cash offer program where you upload your vehicle information and dealers in your area contact you if they want to buy it. Um, so it's, it's really kind of neat because it used to be, you know, if you, if you had a car to get rid of, you had basically three options or um, you could donate it to charity. And now you've got all these other options competing, you know, to buy or use car. Um, so it is, it is a good time to be selling, but yeah, check it. I mean, it's, it, you can do it sitting on your couch, see how much money you can get and you know, go from there. Well, we do need to take another quick break. We're talking with Jamie Page Deaton and John Paul, and we're answering your automotive questions. This is Maine Calling. We'll be right back. Listener support brings us Maine Calling with help from Center Street Arts Gallery. Open Wednesday through Saturday, 1030 to 4, in historic downtown Bath, Center Street Arts Gallery, LLC. And Vallo, guiding teens toward emotional well-being to connect with community and ignite a future with hope. Vallomain.org. I'm Peter O'Dowd. The pandemic kept many Americans at home, but it didn't stop people from dying on the roads. We did have a little bit of a spike during the pandemic, we think because there was less traffic on the roads and an easier opportunity to speed. Kansas City, Missouri has a plan to turn it around and reach zero traffic deaths by 2030. Next time on Here and Now. Join us for Here and Now. That's today at noon. Did you know, in addition to being free over the air, Maine Public Television is now streaming live at mainepublic.org. You can enjoy all of your favorite PBS and Maine Public Television programs and even discover new ones throughout the day. Check it out at mainepublic.org slash live TV. If you're without internet, you can still access Maine Public's four television stations over the year with an HD TV antenna. To learn more about Maine Public Television over the year and for helpful information on choosing your antenna, you can visit mainepublic.org. Free access to Maine Public Television is made possible through the support of our members. Consider becoming a member today to help us deliver this wonderful service to all of Maine. Thank you. And welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You're listening to Maine Calling. Today we're talking all things automotive. My guest, Jamie Page Deaton with U.S. News and AAA's John Paul. Join our conversation at 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram if you're quick. We'll go to Claire calling from Surrey. Hi, Claire. Go ahead. Hi there. Um, so we have the opportunity to purchase my father-in-law's uh, Prius. I think it's uh, 2012. He basically, he has a truck as well, and he's like, I just never use it anymore. He said it runs great, but that it has some rust. And he's had the experience where he's gotten so much rust on, a, on another car that he wasn't able to sticker it. So he got a quote for having the car painted, which is a pretty pricey endeavor. It's, I think his quote was like $5,000. I'm wondering if there are alternatives to treating that rust before it spreads some sort of spot treatment or if it's not really worth it. I mean, he's willing to, he's, he just wants, he's happy to sell it to us for a really great price, like $1,500. Yeah. Yes, but with this, but the rust is something that we're going to have to deal with and uh, wondering what you think about that. Claire, thanks so much for your question. I'm going to send this one. Um, let's see here. Okay. I'm going to send this question to John uh, right now. John, Paul, uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty. I think yeah, I have you both by phone now. John, Claire is asking about options to treating some rust on an old Prius that, um, you know, really not without forking out the $5,000 for a full on paint job. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly some patching you can do. You can, you can make some arrangements, do various different things. Um, again, you want to look at structural issues visually when you see some rust, yeah, it doesn't look pretty, but as long as it's not structural. Um, and then sometimes you can just do some, uh, patching. I've seen some amazing YouTube things that people will fill, uh, rust holes with expandable foam. They'll 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 
tape over them. They'll paint over it, and it looks good when you're done. Is it is it going to be a permanent repair? No. But is it going to get you another year? And there's companies like Automotive Touch-Up. It's a paint supply company, and they they mix factory paint in spray cans. So you get absolutely perfect color match, and you can do it pretty inexpensively. Automotive paint has gone up exponentially in price over the past few years. So a paint job, that's why a paint job can be really expensive. And even the best rust repair, unfortunately, is temporary. Um, Even when you see, you know, hundreds, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of repair work done to a car, six or seven years later, some of that rust starts to come back. So unless you put absolutely brand new panels on, chances are you're going to be chasing rust forever. Claire, thanks for your question. Um, I'm going to go here to an email from Betsy. She writes, I love my 2017 Chevy Bolt. Besides getting the tires rotated, the only maintenance so far is replacing the 12-volt battery. That said, when should I think about a new car? Should I think about a plug-in hybrid like the Prius Prime? 30 miles on a charge suits my needs since I rarely drive long distances. And I still have range anxiety, particularly in winter. Currently, I get about 300 miles in summer as long as I don't run the AC. In winter, it's much less. Public chargers are still few and far between, so that trip from Portland to Rockport gives me pause. Appreciate your advice on what to buy next and when. So this is a Chevy Bolt lover. It's a 2017. Jamie. Yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to when you want a new car. I mean, honestly, right? If uh, the Bolt, which is a great car, I agree with you 100% there. Um, If it's no longer suiting your needs and you're really suffering from range anxiety, but you still want to have, you know, an electric car for day-to-day driving, then something like the Prius Prime um, makes absolutely perfect sense. Um, You don't have to stick with the Prius. Um, There's also a um, you know, there's the Hyundai Ionic, which is a uh, it's available as an EV, a plug in hybrid and just a, a gas electric hybrid with no plug. Um, and we're really starting to see more and more of these plug in hybrids uh, becoming available. Um, but I do think the Prius Prime, you know, is an excellent one. Um, and, you know, the Hyundai Ionic would be another one that I would look at. Um, but I absolutely love these because you could commute day to day in, um, you know, all EV mode, and then you don't have to worry about range anxiety. I mean, you don't have to worry about driving, you know, to Rockport. You could drive all the way to Atlanta if you wanted to without ever having to plug the car in. All right. Well, thanks for that answer for Betsy. Um, I'm going to go to Camden and Bill. Hi, Bill. Go ahead. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for your good work. I was thinking about uh, the technologies that are coming on board for automobiles and, you know, the ability to stop and watch the edge of the road but here we are in maine (laughs) with winding hilly roads often are not line marked Uh, deer moose in the road trees that hang over the edge of the road and sometimes into your line of sight do those things work around here (laughs) john good question Um, because i you know i know from a, a car in our family it takes it's the line on the road that the car is sensing. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And that and current current technology, until we start to see more LIDAR in use, current technology that uses radar and cameras is reliant on the road. And it's sort of interesting, even all these vehicles with semi-autonomous features like the Cadillac Escalade I dro- just drove with Super Cruise. Great system. It works really well. I drove through a newly paved piece of uh, Uh, roadway uh, going over a bridge it didn't have lines on it it immediately shut off and the same thing all of our testing at AAA has shown that in curves and roads especially when a pedestrian's uh, walking across the middle of a roadway in a curve there the systems may not pick them up at all so it's sort of a little bit frustrating I look at all of these semi-autonomous features there's times I really like to drive a car and there's times that I don't And on a rainy, miserable day, that's when I would like my car to drive for me. And unfortunately, that's when most of the systems shut off. So when you really want it, they're not going to work. So you're right. Um, Is the system going to be able to see a moose and a deer? Absolutely. 
Is it going to be able to see a moose and a deer in really foggy conditions? Maybe not as well, but maybe better than you can still. So um, the technology is developing. And, you know, 10 years ago, the press association that I belong to, the New England Motor Press Association, we had a technology day, and it was all about autonomous vehicles. And back then it was sort of like full speed ahead. Everybody wants to do it. Now everybody's seeing the limitations, and fully autonomous self-driving vehicles are going to be something we're not going to see for quite a while still. Interesting. Bill, thanks for your question. I'm going to go here to um, an email from Sherry. She writes, we have a 2004 Chevy Cavalier and a 2008 Chevy Cobalt, both manual transmission vehicles. We keep our cars until they are beyond fixable. A new vehicle may be in the future. Does Jamie have any experience with Ford Escort RS manual transmission? And Jamie is smiling ear to ear. Um, because, no, I don't. Um, it's been a while since Ford um, has made the Escort um, in this market. Um, so, and, you know, this is the other thing, too. I mean, this, this um, you know, the, the writer sounds like there's somebody who really enjoys small cars. Um, and unfortunately, those um, are the segments of the marketplace that domestic automakers are really leaving in favor of, um, you know, crossovers and things like that. And so I don't have any experience with that. I'm really sorry that um, I don't. Um, but, you know, I think that you can um, get a good option, you know, by looking at the Ford Focus RS, which is really fun. Um, but then there's also, you know, keep in mind, too, that you can look at cars like the Hyundai Accent. Um, you know, the Honda Civic might be a little bit too big um, for, for this particular caller, but the Hyundai Accent is a great, you know, kind of, um, you know, mini car option for folks. Um, but, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have, I don't have um, specific experience with that one. John, to you? Uh, about the same as Jamie. I, you know, drove one a couple of years ago. Um, the Focus, the Focus was available in, yeah, the RS version, and it was a hot rod little hatchback. Uh, competitive with other, I think I'd be tempted to, you know, although a car that you're not going to keep forever, like the cars you have now, maybe even something like a Mini Cooper. Speaking that, of Mini Coopers, we have a question about one. I'll go to Leslie in Freeport. Hi, Leslie. Go ahead. Thanks so much for taking my call. Your your show is just awesome. So we just recently moved to Maine and purchased a uh, 2021 Mini Cooper JCW. But the road noise uh, from the tires is unbearable. And I'm just wondering if switching out to either summer tires or touring tires will help mitigate the road noise from run flats. There you go, John. And and Mini Coopers aren't the only uh, car with road noise. What are your suggestions? Yeah, well, first off, you have, you know, the John Work special uh, performance vehicle. So, you know, one of the reasons it's a little bit noisier anyway is because it has a little bit less insulation in it. So they tried to make the car lighter and more nimble. And going, you know, the run-flat tires are always been known to be noisier, harder riding. Uh, you might want to consider something like a, a good uh, winter touring tire. Even Michelin has a new tire that just came out. It has a really interesting, unique tread pattern that seems to be quieter. But I would go on any of the mini forums and see what people are swapping tires off for to see what people really like more than others. You hate to go out and spend $1,000 on tires and find out that really all it did was quiet the car 10%. And that may not be enough. So, um, the other thing is, even though the car is new, um, you know, any little bit of tire wear, uh, tire pressure uh, adjustment uh, can cause road noise. So check, make sure you check the tire pressure, see what it's at. Make sure it's at the manufacturer's recommendation. If it's up even just a few pounds higher, you're going to pick up more noise. Leslie, thanks for your call. A tweet here from Allison. You mentioned looking at luxury used cars now. What about used Teslas? Jamie, thoughts? Well, this is interesting because um, while I was selling my car at CarMax, there were a bunch of Teslas for sale at CarMax. Um, you know, and I also have a number of friends who've purchased used Teslas. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. I think if you're going to buy a Tesla, I think used is one you know, good option. They have a decent um, CPO program, certified pre-owned program from Tesla, and they are starting to show up at other dealerships. What you have to be careful about is just making sure that you have, you know, the appropriate warranty coverage on it because Tesla so far 
um, has been very uneven when it comes to, you know, reliability and repairs and things like that. So I would just be really, I would go ahead and purchase um, a used Tesla, but I would make sure that I had really good warranty coverage for it, either from Tesla or a secondary warranty company. And Jamie, we're very tight on time, but Jonathan Smith would not be happy if I didn't ask you about what you think about what's going on between Ford and Tesla and the race between the Mustang and the latest Tesla model. And um, just just quickly, your take on this race to the top of these luxury electric vehicles. Well, I think, you know, there's the, 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 the winner in this is, is consumers. Um, because they're going to have better EVs to choose from. Um, what I think is particularly funny, though, is um, you know Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, and Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, have been kind of trolling each other in interviews and on Twitter, um, talking about how you know I, I think Jim Farley said you know these um, you know the windows on the F one fifty break because there's an issue like they're supposed to because there's an issue at the um, Cybertruck launch with Tesla where they said oh no it's bulletproof glass and then of course the glass shattered all these little things um, so they've been enjoying kind of pushing pushing each other's buttons but honestly the winner here is, is you and me because we're going to have um, you know better we're going to have better cars and when it comes to you know the um, Mach-E versus the Tesla S you know with zero to sixty times they're kind of you know, kind of joshing each other there because what's really great about EVs is that they have these massive zero to 60 times. Um, but for me, um, I don't get to go zero to 60 all that often. What matters to me, <laughs> and I think a lot of buyers is, you know, how, how well does it drive overall? Is What's the range? How much does it cost? Does it work with my daily life? All right. Well, I wanted to be able to get to one last call, Missy in Dixfield. And I'm pretty certain, Missy, you have a question that is sort of the question that all of us will face at some point. So go ahead and answer it. And John, I'm going to ask you to answer it quickly. Go ahead, Missy. Okay. Thank you for taking my call. Um, yes, I have a 2008 Hyundai Elantra, and I love this car. Um, but I'm at the point where um, sometimes the repairs seem like they're greater than what the car is worth. And so, but um, I also haven't had a car payment for 10 years. So I need to decide um, what the best option is should i just keep trying to sink repairs into the car or should i sure sure john in 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 45 seconds what is your magic formula for figuring out when it's time it's always cheaper to fix an old car than it is to buy a new one and if the cost of the repair exceeds about 50 percent of the value of the car move on okay so you it's important to know what your car is valued at at the moment divide it by two and then see if that's what the um price point is for the repairs that's the best way to look at it. All right. And, uh, and Jamie, maybe that's tweaked a little bit this year because of what's going on with the car market. But overall, good rule of thumb. Yeah, I mean, good luck buying, finding a new car or a used car for the cost of any car repair. So I would fix it and keep it running for as long as you can. There you go. Missy, thank you so much for that call. And thank you to both of you. Jamie Page Deaton, executive editor of the U.S. News Best Cars team, and John Paul, senior manager, traffic safety and public affairs for AAA Northeast. Always a pleasure to talk with you both. Today's sound engineer, Bill Johnson. Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn produce Main Calling. And today's show will be rebroadcast tonight at 7. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to have a conversation about gender fluidity. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you have been listening to Maine Calling on Maine Public Radio.